All right, everybody, here we go. Welcome to the Mets News Podcast. And now before we get into the Evan Roberts interview, I just want to talk about really how disgraceful the New York Mets have been lately. Uh, There's really nothing else I could say, and we'll get into the giant factors and everything, too. Because as the Giants open up a... Let's be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. It's a rebuilding season. I, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But let's get into my beloved Mets. They, they, they stink. I mean, first off, Buck Showalter. Let me, let me clarify this. I put this on Twitter last night. Follow the Twitter at Mets News 6. And um, I, I basically said this. Just pulling it up here so I have everything. And I quote from my own Twitter. I guess I don't have to quote. Buck has done a great job this year. He's starting to show why he never went far in the postseason. Bullpen management. It's also time to be honest. And it does pain me to say this. These players, until proven otherwise, can never win a big game in September. And apparently a lot of people agree with me on that because I got the most likes I've ever gotten on a tweet before. And I don't really tweet a lot. I I had it because when I used to be a coach, I needed it. And right now I'm not a coach. I I did not get the job for student assistant up at Penn State. My coaching career is not over. I've had some other options. I'll explore it. But uh, some new avenues might open up for this podcast. I have a couple interviews this week for coaching. And if that doesn't work out, these interviews, then I, other avenues will open up and we'll see what happens. But for right now, we're still doing a podcast and I'm, I'm debating actually whether or not I want to open up. I want these new avenues to open up for the show. Um, it's still a work in progress and we'll see what happens. But back to the Mets. You're playing teams like the Nationals. You're playing teams like the Pirates. You're playing teams like the Marlins, even though the Marlins have always been a pesky little uh, you-know-what team in the, in the rear end. I just can't believe how they collapsed. They, they are, they, they, I shouldn't say collapsed. It's just showing that Buck Showalter... You know, he wasn't, for going back a couple years, he was never really my first choice. He was always number four and number five. It was always Joe Girardi. Before that, it was always Joe Girardi because he was available the last two times. And this time around, it was Buck Showalter. It, it was. I, I, if you go back into the archives, I thought the Mets got it right. And they still have gotten it right. But he's showing why he was never my first choice around. Because unlike... I'll just say it, Terry Collins. And Buck Showalter has been a better manager record-wise than Terry Collins. He's making mistakes that he made in Baltimore. He made in Texas. He made in New York. He made in Arizona. He just puts these guys in that absolutely stink. Joely Rodriguez, he stinks. He's not good. I could pitch better than Joely Rodriguez. And he, do, he puts guys in like Tommy Hunter. And a guy I'm not even going to do. I forget. You know who I'm talking about if you're watching the game. And this drove me nuts. I was in a bad mood on Monday because I found that, or on Tuesday because I didn't get the job. I, you know, they, they, to be honest with you, they ghosted me. And that's when I knew I didn't get the job. So I was already a little ticked off because I, I, I wanted an answer. They promised me an answer the Penn State and they didn't give me one, and then I put two and two together because I've been in the industry long enough to realize ghosting means no. So I was already upset about that. And then Buck Showalter brings in this guy from AAA. He throws a 1-2-3 inning, but he throws like 15 pitches. You can clearly see, see that last pitch was not good. And then he proceeds to bring him back out there. He throws 40 pitches. And we lose the game, and we're tied for first place. And then he does the same thing last night. Why are you bringing in Joely Rodriguez? And I, and I, and I asked this, and I, and I want to know. 
Why are you bringing in Joely Rodriguez in the eighth inning with your with with Edwin Diaz, who has eight days of rest? He has eight days of rest. He doesn't have two. He doesn't have one. He has eight days of rest. After the game is out of reach. He should have been in that game in the eighth inning. To start the eighth. The fact he wasn't was a bleeping disgrace. As Joe Beningo said on the radio today. Welcome back Joe. To WFAN. Missed you. The fact he was not in the game. Was a disgrace. And then he says in the post game, and this is what really got me aggravated. I shouldn't even say it. This is what really got me like smirking a little bit, like with the you know if you if you ever had that angry smoke smirk. And maybe some of my listeners, and I know I have a lot of listeners now, and thank you for subscribing. Um, I appreciate that. But maybe my listeners don't understand this and have never coached. But he gave one of those answers like, well. I couldn't go to Adam Ottavino because, you know, he, he pitched in a 10 nothing game. And I couldn't go to Seth Lugo because, you know, I, I needed to give him, give him a day off. Buck, you're wrong. You could have went to Seth Lugo. Seth Lugo hasn't pitched lately. And Adam Ottavino thing, that's your bleeping fault because you decided to use him in a 10-run game. He threw 25 pitches. It is a disgrace. Those answers were a disgrace. And mark my words. These games are going to come back to bite the Mets in the rear end. And I know they're on right now, so let me give you the score update. Because I don't really like to have the score update. And then I get, they have a runner on first. And they called up Mark Vientos today, which was the right call. Finally. Darren Ruff, he stinks. Can, can every Met fan... Be honest here, and I know I get some Yankee fans listening to this podcast. Terrence Ruff stinks. This guy has like one hit since he's joined the Mets. What a terrible trade that that turned out to be. Who would have thought in the J.D. Davis trade, the dot, not the dot, the Giants, excuse me, would have won that trade? Who would have thought that? This is an absolute disgrace. And granted, calling up Vientos, is, it's never too late. But, like, he should have been up here months ago. And Starling Marte had to go on the I.L. today with that fractured finger. We don't even know when he's coming back. I mean, it's not like when Doors fractured finger where he could play through it. I think it was in the middle of the pinky. So that, that, that's not good. Ultimately, what, what, what's going to happen here is either the Mets are going to have to wake up and play better. And Lindor last night saying, basically, our team has hit a wall. What do you mean your team's hit a wall? You're in September baseball. How are you out of gas? You had multiple days off. You had Monday off. You have Thursday off. You're never going to have... You have, mo- you have the most days off left in the league. How, how has this team hit a wall? And until proven otherwise, this court cannot win together. And what I mean is the Lindor's... Let's take Lindor out of it because he played well with Cleveland. I don't remember their name, their new name. But guys like Alonzo, McNeil, Nimmo, these guys don't know how to win in a pennant race. All they know how to do is collapse. Offensively, they've stunk since the lead has shrunk. And I'll say this. If the Mets don't make the playoffs, if the, excuse me, the Mets will make the playoffs, that doesn't count. I misspoke. So if when the, if the Mets don't win the division, it's going to be very hard to win, win the World Series. Because that first round, you're going to have to play a team like the Padres. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're probably going to have to burn. You're definitely going to have to burn DeGrom. You're probably going to have to burn Scherzer. And there's a good chance because it's, gonna, it's a good team like the Padres. And you can never count them out. Even though they had the Tatis suspension. Even though Soto has not lived up. 
Terry's not the deal yet. But again, it's like Lindor. I always said, give him a year to settle in. Still would not have signed Lindor to that contract. I still would not have. I would have waited till he hit free agency because you could have gotten a reduced price. But I still, I hate the people on Twitter that say it's a terrible contract. Get over it. It's not your money. But you still have to give Juan Soto, getting back to my point, the respect he deserves. Because he is a good hitter. To be frank with everybody, uh, the Mets are not collapsing. They are going to make the playoffs. Until things get better, meaning the Mets take their opponents seriously again, and they don't play down to their competition. They, they can't score. They can't do anything. Another double play. This is ridiculous. I'm, this is about today's game. What a disgrace. What a disgrace. Until the Mets stop playing down to their competition, they will not make it far in the postseason. You can mark my words. I don't care what anybody says. And that's all I got to say on my terrible franchise. They, they lost the game to the Nationals. They should have won. They should have swept the Pirates. And they're playing down to the Marlins. This is a disgrace. And I'm done hearing about, well, they, they had the easiest schedule in baseball. It'll be fine. Mets fans are overreacting. No, they, they, they have the easy schedule in baseball, but they're playing down to people's competition. And I'm going to call out a few people before we get to the giant factors. Guys like Sal Licata, guys like these Met who have the blue check marks on Twitter and the positive ones, the over-positive ones, and the over-negative ones. Just stop it. You're, you guys are making yourself look like clowns. I have to hear about, oh, Met fans, why are, you, why are you crying? It's not the end of the world. This team's played so great all year round. Net fans have a right to be upset today. Their team's played like absolute dog crap for over a month. And I got to hear from guys that have the blue check marks that were overreacting. And then you got the guys like Frank the Tank, the negative side, that are biting their shirts off and going, free falling. It's like, give me a break. Give me a bleeping break. And even some people in my audience are like that, tweeting at me and saying, the season's over. The season's not over. It'll be difficult if the Mets don't win the division. I'll say that much. But the season's not over. It's far from over. And that's all I got to say. I just, I can't take this fan base sometimes. I'm like KFC Barstool from Barstool Sports. This is ridiculous. This, I, Mets fans are very passionate, but I got to hear from one side that we're being too negative because we're just, we're living in reality. And then I got the other side telling me the season's over. I just, I can't. I think Evan Roberts, Joe Beningo, Howie Rose, Gary Cohen said it best. It's okay to be upset about this team right now. They're not playing well. Meaning, any SNY booth, we'll just lump them in here too. But the Mets are still going to make the playoffs. Marte's going to be back. Scherzer's going to be back. Is it the end of the world if they don't make the playoffs? Win the division. They'll make the playoffs. If it's the end of the world, if they don't win the division, I, I apologize for keep saying that. No. Is it going to be harder, though, for them to go anywhere in the playoffs if they don't win the division? Yes. Is it an embarrassment that they lost the division lead? No, because the Braves are playing like 900 baseball. I think they're playing 860 baseball. Has Buck Showalter messed up? Of course he has. That's one thing the Mets fans, and I think every... Met fan right now is agreeing on that. Buck Showalter's been messing up lately. Big time. And we'll see what happens. All right, on to my giant factors. Then we'll get on to the, the interview. And, of course, the, the advertisement before the interview. Listen, we all know the Giants. Are, I'll get into a more in-depth podcast with the Giants. I think my NFC's preview. 
shows how I personally feel right now. But good. The only way the Giants are going to win these games as as the Mets are putting together a two-out rally here, Nick went up to the dish. The only way the Giants are going to win games is their offense. Their defense is depleted. Blake Martinez is released. They're playing a they're not playing an overly good Oh my god, what are you swinging at? That's balls in the dirt. They're not overly the Titans are not that good. I mean, they're good, but they're not like the Packers when we go to who put that game together on the schedule? Giants have to go to London to play the Packers. Why why in the hell would you That's like everybody watches that game. You're going to tell people from Great Britain this is the best of what the NFL has to offer. On one side, we have the Packers. On the other side, we have the Giants. I mean, what a, what a great idea by the NFL office. As Naquin flies out to center field. Typical Naquin at that. But the only way the Giants are going to win, and here are my factors. I feel like I say this every year. Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones. It's put up or shut up time for Daniel Jones. He could either become the next Eli Manning or he'll be out of town. And this, but I was spoiled as a Giant fan. Let's be honest. I was spoiled. I, I remember I used to watch games with my grandfather. And he used to say, you know, this is like, he, he, he told me this once. He said, you don't know how good you have it. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, to have a quarterback, he says, I remember the 60s and 70s where we were an utter, he didn't say, he, he didn't say disgrace. That's what I, it's down, I'm basically paraphrasing. But the Giants were utter disgraceful quarterback problems, GMs leaving left and right, banners flying over Giant Stadium. Uh, he used to tell me, you don't know how good you have it. Two championships. He said, with the baseball You've suffered more than I could have ever suffered at your age. He said, I don't know how you do it with the team. But football, he said, you don't know how good you have it. And now I understand what he meant. Coaches changing. And maybe the Gi- I hope and pray the Giants are on the right track. Because I remember when the Giants were respectable. And maybe my Giant roots. One of my roommates asked me this in my apartment. You know, We all have separate rooms, but... I was walking out of my room one day, and he said, I don't know how I'm going to be able to still be a Giant fan. You know, he just started following recently. But he said, I don't know how I'm, I can continue to watch the Giants. I just missed the year they won. I've only seen 2016. He said, how do you do it? And I said, well, you know, I, I, was, I was blessed. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I remember the two championships. It also doesn't help that my grandparents' old neighbor worked for the Giants. And knew Tom Coughlin, and travel and booked all the stuff, and we got hats, we got to wear the rings when they won the Super Bowl rings. I got Tom Coughlin's signature in my room. I got Eli Manning's. I actually have Eli Manning's Super Bowl hat in my room. It's one of my most prized possessions. So by 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 proxy or by you know at this point it's like well I'm I'm stuck. This is my team. And just like the Mets did, where they had their 10 years of wilderness. I'll stick with it with the Giants, hoping and hoping and hoping and hoping and hoping that they stay relevant. That No, they, they, they're relevant. But get back to relevant football. And my Giant factors, again, is Giant coaching. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley. The coaching's sticking around. And as I said on my previous episode last week, I did like, I do like what Brian Dable did. Uh, Joe Shane and Brian Dable have done so far. Well, Saquon Barkley, a former Nittany Lion, and Daniel Jones be sticking around. Probably not. But listen, I'm not one of those fans that wants to tank. I want to see the Giants make it to the playoffs. Just like people think, and they ask me all the time, this is a funny thing, I'll end this on this note about New York football, and then we're going to take a break, 
and then it's on to the Evan Roberts interview. People ask me this all the time. He says, do you want the Jets to do bad? I say, no, you know. And they say, do you want the Giants to do bad? And maybe it's because I'm a coach. And I, and I said this in my interview, and I've said this in every interview I've ever, ever like for summer teams or for my previous job. I said, you know, I just can't take losing. Losing kills me, and I think it builds the wrong culture. Yeah, if the Giants and Jets, if they stink, they get the better draft pick, but that doesn't build good culture for the future. Eventually, you're going to have to hit on your draft picks, but eventually you're going to have to start winning. And that's what I hope happens to New York football. Because when the Jets and Giants are good, the city is better. It's the same thing with the Mets and the Yankees, and we saw that this year. And we're seeing it this year, even though the Yankees are collapsing big time. When New York sports is good and thriving and the basketball teams are good, the football teams are good, I guess the hockey teams are good, even though I don't really think people care about hockey in the city. It's better because then all the fan bases from all different parts come out and everything's better. When, when, the, when they suck, it's a laughing stock. So I hope, I hope that the Giants, and I guess the Jets, even though I don't root for the Jets, but I hope the Giants, uh, they, they have good seasons. Because I would rather make the playoffs than have another year of this. Because that means Daniel Jones is sticking around. And that means we're playing relevant football. Ultimately, I don't see that happening. I think it's going to be a very rough year. But hopefully they prove me wrong. All right, this has been an edition of the Mets News Podcast. Now, this podcast, or the second part of my podcast, was not supposed to air. It was for a Com 170 project. I have a, you know, it's sports industry. It's sports journalism class. And I DM'd Evan Roberts, and I said, Evan, um, um, my name is blah, 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 blah. Could you come on and do this for me? And he said, sure. And there's no proper ending to this. Because, again, I was not supposed to put this on air. But after talking to my Com 170 teacher, he said, you got to put this on the air. Figure it out. So some parts have been edited out because I asked some questions that I, Evan didn't want out there. And I personally didn't want out there either. But it's a very good interview. I hope you all enjoy it. We talk a little Mets. It's a little outdated, but still, it's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you, Evan, for letting me release this. And thank you like, for coming on my show. I've interviewed, believe it or not, Afternoon Drive for the fan almost. I mean, I, I'm never going to get Craig Carton, most likely. I mean, I never thought I'd get Evan Roberts. But I've interviewed Joe Beningo and Evan Roberts, who did Afternoon Drive for the fan. And I, and I interviewed a big portion of the Afternoon Drive for WFN, and that's my station growing up. And, and a story here, my grandfather, the one that was the, the, the Giants fan and the Mets fan, he used to go to the city. And his favorite people were Joe and Evan. He said, you know, Francesca's good and everything, you know, love Francesca, but the, he used to sing their jingle, the Joe and Evan jingle, whatever that is. So it's it's funny that you know it's a, you know he pa- he passed away i've interviewed two of his favorite sports talk people beningo was his favorite he always loved beningo cuz you know beningo would say what he felt like but then it go francesa and now evan so that the, that inter- these interviews this year are my f- cuz these guys are my favorite too frankly cuz i think evan's around my age i think i said that to begin my interview but it's ultimately an honor and a privilege, and we thank Evan. Go listen to his show, Carton and Roberts. Great show. Follow his Twitter at Evan Roberts WFAN. He has the Rico Bronia, which I love, and he has many more things. But I'm going to go watch the Met game, get something to eat. This has been an edition of the Mets News Podcast. I'm ending the podcast because I didn't end it. Subscribe, stay safe. Let's hear from the sponsor, Anchor. And uh, when we get back... The Evan Roberts interview, but take it away, anchor. All right, here we go. This is my interview for someone in the sports industry. I have one of my favorite 
talk show personality, sports talk personalities ever, Evan Roberts. I've been listening to him since I was about seven years old. Because I, I remember when Francesa did the 1 to 6.30 stuff, but it's always been Evan because he's been the only one around my age. So, Evan, thank you so much for doing this. How you doing? Thank you. That does make me feel a tad old, but I appreciate the kind words. I mean, we've been through a lot of misery together. Mad oh, yes. Lots I mean, of misery. Yes, indeed. I mean, but they won last night. Thanks to Brandon Nimmo making that catch. The New York Mets actually feel different. I don't know if the result's going to be different come October, but the 2022 Mets actually feel like, wait a second, maybe the misery will end this season. Yeah, I, I agree with you. On, but like, it kind of felt weird last night because when Timmy Trumpets played Edwin Diaz in, I was like, wait a minute. This has all the makings of a blown save waiting to happen. I, I would normally think that. And I was in the building last night when this was happening. And normally that negativity would seep in. But for whatever reason, Edwin Diaz has been so freaking good and so dominant that I actually had a calm confidence that he was going to get the job done. Maybe he'd make things exciting, put a couple of guys on base, but he would get through it. And the fact that he threw a one, two, three inning and barely made a sweat uh, is another sign that maybe things are different this year. Yeah, and another quality thing before we get to the interview is Jake finally going seven. I mean, I know you said on the Rico, it's going to take time, but it's like eventually he was going to have to do it. I want to see him get to 100 pitches at least once because I don't want it to happen in October for the first time, but we're making good progress with him too. I can't be upset. The, the crazy thing about it is I think we've grown accustomed to looking at the pitch count saying, oh, he could go more. Oh, okay. You got to take this guy out. Jake only threw 93 pitches the other night, but he was getting hit by the end. So it was one of those things where I'm trying to win the baseball game and I love the Grom. I would trust him over anybody, but he looked pretty done. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, he got bailed out by Brandon Nimmo. Like I know it's, so the pitch count seems, oh, he could go another inning, but watching him pitch, I think he was pretty much done after seven. You're you're 100% right. I mean, at least when he's playing these easy teams, because the Mets do have the easiest schedule after today, which hopefully they win, but you don't know what Chris Bassett sometimes, but it would be nice to see him go over 100 once so we know he could do it in October. Sure, because you're going to need him to. That's for sure. Yeah. Come October, it's a different animal. You, no one wants to trust guys like Seth Lugo or Joely Rodriguez to get outs in October. Uh, Joely Rodriguez, you don't even have to get – that guy stinks. That's like, terrible. I would DFA him and keep Fisher because I know Fisher's a lefty, but oh my, he stinks. But yeah. all right, let's get. Go ahead. No, I agree. <laughs> no, I'm with you, buddy. <laughs> all right, let's get into it. So this is all these questions were made my by my professor. So this will be the first interview where I actually don't just go off what how I'm feeling. So let's get into it. How did you get in your current job, Evan? Well. I loved radio. I knew I wanted to be in radio since I was a kid. And luckily, when I applied for my very first job at nine years old, it was a letter sent to WFAN. And while I did not get a job when I was nine years old, they allowed me to fill in as a nine-year-old on the Imus in the Morning Show. And the reason I bring it up is because it gave me a connection to the radio station. So as I was bouncing around the radio industry, working at XM Radio, working at a station called The Jock in Baltimore, I would always send my updated tape to WFAN, to Mark Chernoff, who was the program director. And finally, it started letting me fill in. I started doing fill-in overnights. And then in December of 2006, they offered me a full-time job to do middays with Joe Beningo. So the seeds to working at WFAN started long before I ever got that full-time job in the latter part of 06. Yeah, I mean, it, I was looking at your resume because – I listened to your, all your podcasts, the Evan Roberts podcast, the Brooklyn Nets, but I didn't know that you didn't go to college. At least that's what it said. Did, did you go to college? So I, I sort of did. I, I was offered a job at XM out of high school. And so I had to make a decision. Would I go to Seton Hall, which is the school I was accepted to and I was going to? I got my roommate. I got my dorm. I was ready to go. But they offered me a full-time gig at XM doing a talk show basically for teenagers. And I decided really it was a deal with my parents because my parents still had sort of the power. I was only 17 years old that I could take the job, not go to Seton Hall, but continue to take classes. So what I did is I got my associate's degree while working full time at XM. So it was a two year degree. I, I like to think I did sort of go to college because it's, it's, it's some kind of degree, you know? Yeah. So I did both for a couple of years. 
And I was able to at least walk away with a degree, but it wasn't what I intended at first, which was to go to Seton Hall, work at their radio station and kind of go that traditional route. But I was fortunate that I was given an opportunity at a young age to kind of get that college education, a college education of doing a radio show with nobody listening. So you couldn't rely on phone calls. You had to really get creative and figure it out. So I did both, uh, got a degree and started working. I honestly think that you have the, the best, you had the best of both worlds because you got the real world experience, but you also have the college degree to boot. So I think oh, no, the, the real world experience was incredible because I was 18 years old working with people in their mid twenties, thirties, forties. I got laid off at one point. So I got to lose my job, which was a great life experience. Didn't feel that way at the time, but certainly did contribute to kind of learning how to save money and be smart. Uh, and then really learning how to do radio. I mean, I learned mm -hmm. more in the few years I was at XM than any other period of my life in terms of radio. So yeah, looking back on it now, it's been a long time. It's been over 20 years. It turned out to be the right decision and it was, it, it was a great education. That's for sure. Yeah. And then leading into my next question, what do you value most about your job? Is it the big game? Is it the big interview? Well, first of all, something as basic as, <laughs> excuse me, I'm excited to go to work every day. Like my worst day at work is probably better than a lot of people's best day because at the end of the day, I go to work and I talk about sports passionately. I talk about the teams I love, the teams I loathe. So I just love the fact that I can go to work and be happy. But in terms of what really excites me to get to work is the big win by one of the teams I root for. I know a lot of listeners like the big loss. They like to hear us scream and yell and be very upset after the Jets lost a brutal game, even if you're not a basketball fan when the Nets lost game seven because they want to soak in my tears. So I get that listeners thrive on the negative, and I respect that. But for me, I love turning that mic on after a win and being excited and being happy and being hopeful. Now, I've never had the chance to do it after a championship, which is a dream. I don't even know how that would go or how that would even sound. Mm -hmm. But to me, I still love coming in there happy more so than coming in there screaming and yelling and being negative. <clears throat> so, so what are some valuable skills you use for your job? Like one skill, I don't even know if this is a skill. I think it's just a work ethic is that you got to watch everything. You got to mm -hmm. be aware of everything. And I take pride in that. I haven't lightened up on that over the years where it's like, Oh, wow, oh, I got my job. I'm good. I'm established. I'm not going to watch the Yankees tonight. I think it's, very, very important to watch everything or as much as you can read everything as much as you can, because I think being informed is half the battle because the audience will see right through. If you're not informed, if you're not watching, if you're taking it for granted. So to me, and I don't even think that's a skill that's just working hard. And I've, mm -hmm. it's been challenging because I got two kids. I have a wife. I want to have a life. And I, I maintain that. That's why DVR is the greatest invention in the history of mankind. Because you can DVR everything and watch it at two o'clock in the morning and never miss anything. So I think the most important, I don't even know if it's skill, quality, I guess, is always being prepared. Never let anybody outwork you. Watch everything, read everything, and know everything that's going on. I think that's really important for the job that we have. And I agree with you. And, and something that's fascinating about you is you do a podcast after every big win almost after every big loss. And then the next day you have to go in and do a radio show from two to six. <laughs> that's never been done before. And I love it, but that's, I feel like you're the first person to ever really do this before, at least from the fans perspective. Cause I know Francesa would just wait till one o'clock. It, it's, you know? it's a balancing act because you want people to tune in when you come on the air. So you don't want to necessarily give away things before you get on the air, but it, it evolved. When I first started doing it, I was doing the midday show with Joe. And my thought was what I say right after a game is going to be very different than what I say the next morning. That when you get a night's sleep, sometimes your views change a little bit. You have more time to think about it. When you instantly react to something, you're giving much more of a natural reaction. So that was my thought at the time of, I think what I say at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday night, is going to be different than what I say at 10 a.m. on a Wednesday. Now, because I do a show that's so different with Craig, where it's a sports show you know, we get criticized, we don't talk enough sports. We do a sports show, but it's not as hardcore as what I did with Joe that I think when I react instantly to a game, I can get into aspects of the game that I'm probably not going to get into when Craig and I do the show. 
So mm-hmm. it's kind of evolved in why I feel comfortable doing something like that. Uh, you know, especially with Rico Bronia, where I go really in depth on the Mets. I think the show that we do, we, we talk about everything that's going on. But we're not necessarily going to talk about, you know, the 26 man roster and construction mm-hmm. of that. And those kinds of in the weeds, geeky kind of stuff, I feel like, you know, are, it's better suited for a podcast. And I'm not giving anything necessarily away from the normal show that we would do at two o'clock the next day. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love the Rico Bronia podcast because it's, I'll say this. I think most Met fans are very passionate. I've never met like a Met fan that's just watching a bandwagon fan. Basically, I've never met one. That might happen now because Steve Cohen, the best owner in sports, is going to make the team a world championship contender every year. But up until recently, I have not seen a bandwagon Met fan. I think, uh, I think a part of that is if you are under the age of 40, which I am and you are, we don't know what winning a World Series is like. And I think as a fan, if you watch a team that's never won anything and you continue to watch them, you kind of have to be passionate. <laughs> what else are you doing? So I've, I've gotten this impression, and I give credit to the Knicks fans as well. I think they fit in this, and the Jets fan. I'm obviously a Jets fan. I'm not a Knicks fan, but I, I give those other fan bases credit in the same regard that you have to be really old to remember winning. More so with the Jets and Knicks than even the Mets. But but even the Mets, I'm 39 years old. I was three and 86. That doesn't count. I didn't see it. I didn't remember it. So mm-hmm. I think the more that the team doesn't win, the more passionate the fans are. Because if you are a diehard fan, it's not like you got into it because they won. You're a Yankee fan. Maybe you started rooting for the Yankees because 1998 was freaking easy. And they won 114 <laughs> games. If you're a Mets fan, a Jets fan, uh, a Knicks fan, I include my basketball team, the Nets, but I get the Knicks are more prominent. Uh, you really have to be passionate to be into it because you haven't won anything. And I agree with you 100%. And what are some of the downsides of the job, if any? There's always downsides, but what are some I, of the downsides? I think, um, and I don't even know if this is like a downside to most people listening, but I guess I'll be honest, like this is a downside is, Maybe watching and talking about things you don't truly care about. Uh, mm-hmm. I, most of the things I do care about. It's not like I'm sitting there struggling to watch a Yankees Angels game, even though I'm a Met fan. I'm a baseball fan. So it, it's not that bad, but I can see that for other people where it's, God, do I really want to watch the, the Giants game at four o'clock right after the Jets game? I, 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 ne- I very, very rarely in the years I've done this, where am I really dragging to watch a game? So I don't know. For me, if that's a negative, but I'm just trying to be fair for other people that are on the air. I do know that sometimes it is difficult to come on the air after a loss because you take it personal and having to sit there. The worst one for me is I did the overnights uh, right after the Mets lost game seven of the Cardinals in 2006. Oh, my God. So I, I had to drive from Shea Stadium to Astoria, Queens, and then talk about my pain for the next four hours, as opposed to just crying myself to sleep, which is what I normally would have done. So that one was rough. That one was tough. I think by the end of it, I thought, all right, that was good therapy. That was a nice therapy session. But I think sometimes because I am still very passionate about this, it can be challenging to have to talk about a game or talk about something that that pains you. But the beauty of this job is that that question's tough to answer because there aren't a lot of downsides. I, I love the job. And my worst day working at WFAN is it's really a good day. My worst day is actually a good day. That's the way I would look at it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, one of my favorite things that you ever did was, I think you did an instant reaction for when Edwin Diaz blew that save in Washington in 2019. Uh. And I went to bed like Joe did, thinking, okay, this game's over. Once, I think it was Pete hit the home run. And I was like, okay, this game's done. I'm going to go to bed. And then I woke up and I looked at the score and I was like, first I was like, did they really lose that game? I was mm. like, really? And then I was like, wait, so Evan, Evan Roberts did something. So I was driving to school and everything you felt at the time was how I was feeling then. So I just don't know how you did it that day or did that podcast. Cause I wouldn't have been able to, or went yeah. on the air the next day. <laughs> yeah. That one wasn't fun. That wasn't fun against the nationals. And, but I remember about that night as I had my football fantasy draft that night. And so I DVR the game. So I started the game very late 
And then, you know, I when I when I DVR a game, the only thing I skip are commercials. It's not like I'm skipping anything that's going on in the midst of the game. So when I finished it, when Diaz officially blew it, I think Kurt Suzuki at the game winning home run. Yep. The game had ended, I'd say about 20 minutes earlier. So the rest the rest of the Met fans had already been, you know, devastated and faced destruction. For me, I was on a little bit of a delay and I kept thinking to myself, this can't be freaking real. But that season featured a lot of it. The 2019 Mets, you know, when years go by and someone says to you a season, usually maybe one thought pops into your mind, maybe two thoughts, you know, because these seasons run together when you watch a lot of them. The mm-hmm. 2019 season was all about meltdowns. They had so many freaking brutal losses that season that I, I remember I did a podcast at the end of the season counting yep. down a top 10 of all the brutal losses because they were that many. And then debating like, well, this one was worse than that one, but this one was the way it was just, it was God awful. And if they would have won half of those games, they actually would have made the playoffs that year, which is crazy to think. They probably would have won the division. Yeah, they could have. All right. So share an example of uh, how networking has worked for you. Well, I think with FAN is uh, the best example that when I applied for a job as a nine-year-old and I got responded to by Mark Chernoff, who was the program director at the time, I was able to network with him for years and always send him tapes about how I was doing. And most of the time the reaction was, oh, okay. Like I didn't get much of a reaction. And then finally one day the reaction was, you're not bad. Maybe we can give you an overnight. So I think that's a great example of it. I'll give you another one. I was doing a show as a teenager uh, and the guy who would come over and set up the equipment because the show was coming from my house, he would set up all the equipment, went on a few years later to become an executive at XM radio. And that's how I got the job at XM. I knew the guy and I kept him updated on what I was doing. So I think it's really important that when you meet people, keep in contact with them because you never know where they're going to end up. You never know where you're going to end up. And uh, it can certainly pay off down the road. Yeah. And what's some of your advice about breaking into the industry? Obviously, today, I think breaking into the radio industry, it's it's not as difficult as it was because there are different forms of radio now. There's the podcasting form. Right. So just what's some of your advice? Yeah, I think my advice today in 2022 is a lot different than what I would have said 15 years ago. I think the most important thing to do is to get reps and do a show. What really helped me wasn't podcasting is when I worked at XM, even though there was nobody listening, I was doing a radio show every single day. And so I was getting better. You know, my first show was probably got awful. My sixth show was probably a little bit better. So it's kind of like when you're working out in the gym, you got to do more reps. You got to do more reps. You start to build muscle. I think it's the same thing. So the beautiful thing about podcasts is that maybe you're not going to make money right away. And maybe that podcast isn't going to be the thing that you do forever. But what you can do at, at the bare minimum is get better. And Mm -hmm. do something and, you know, kind of create those muscles and that's your tape and you can send it around. You never know when a program director at a radio station says, wow, that sounds really good. Or a podcasting company says, wow, that sounds really good. So I think right now it's getting reps. It's doing a show because the more you do it, the better that you get. So I think right now that would be my number one advice. Just do it. Mm -hmm. I I really agree, because if you go back to my my podcast. In 2019, my first episode was god awful, and now it's it you know it, it's better. And also, I've gotten to do some network on. I, I had Joe on a couple months ago, which was fun. I work with John Boy Media, so I, I agree with you 100%. You just got to keep doing it, and then eventually you'll get more comfortable. Because at first you have to break those nerves. Yep, absolutely. All right, so you're in New York. In my opinion, you're you hold the best afternoon drive spot in the country. What makes you unique from your rival, I guess, the Michael K show, even though to me it's not even close. I think your show is much better. But what makes you unique from your competition? Well, I think our show is very unique. I mean, because we have Craig, who is off the wall crazy, uh, who's, I think, a brilliant radio host who, mm-hmm. you know, knows how to be entertaining. That's the best quality you can have. He just knows how to be entertaining. And I couldn't be more different. Hopefully that doesn't mean I'm not entertaining, but we're we're just very, very different in that I think his strength is supplying the craziness and the entertainment. And I think my strength is that I think I know a lot about sports and I think I'm really, really passionate. When you combine those two, I feel like if you're tuning in because you're just a casual sports fan who wants to laugh, you're going to want to listen. If you're tuning in who's a hardcore sports fan, I think there are going to be moments where 
you listen and say, that shows as informed as anybody. I think we can have that combination, which usually is not the case. Like either it's a hardcore sports show or it's just crazy and off the wall. I really believe, depending on when you listen, obviously you listen for five minutes, it may just be off the wall. They're not talking sports. But if you listen for another five minutes, you may say, hey, that's a really good hardcore sports talk show. So I think what, what's worked for us, because we've been successful over the two years we've worked together, is that we're very versatile in what we can bring you, whether it's just sheer entertainment or, hey, those guys know what they're talking about. There's a big moment in sports. I want to hear what they have to say. And I think that's what's certainly helped us being successful. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, and now it's on to the question eight, which is a must. I can't get around it. Uh, you can just guesstimate what, what or don't you don't have to tell me, but what's your how much money have you made from the start to the end? You don't have to tell me. I just have to ask it. Well, my 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 agent would say not enough. That'd be his <laughs> answer. Underpaid. Yeah. <laughs> I, I certainly as time has gone by from the first job I ever had in XM in Washington, D.C. to my first job at WFAN to now, it's gotten better. <laughs> but I will tell you this without saying how much I make. And I, and I think anybody who knows the business would say, yep, he's right. You make a lot more money when you do TV. Like radio is not the industry. And I'm not complaining. I make a fine living, right? I have a house, mm -hmm. I got kids. We're very happy. But you have much better chance to make big time money when your face is on TV than when you're in radio, because unfortunately the industry doesn't pay the way it used to pay for Mike and Chris. I don't make as much money as Mike and the dog, but I do well now and it's gone up, you know, as time has gone on. So I'm certainly very, very happy, but my agent would tell you they don't pay him enough. That'd be his answer. <laughs> and maybe I agree with him. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you pretty much work double, triple overtime. I feel like sometimes I know all those podcasters, Odyssey podcast. Yeah. You tell my bosses, pay them more, man. Come on. Yeah. I, hey, I, I think it, but I think you deserve more. Thank you. <laughs> and also, I just don't, I don't understand if I'm SM1. And I know you, like, Cardin and Roberts, when I'm home, is only on from 4 to 6. You guys are on from 2 to 6, two to six or 2 to 6.30 in the off season. Like, why aren't they doing that full time? Like, I just, I it's, don't get that. It's a great question. And I'll share this with you because I think Craig may have brought this up on air. And if he hasn't, I'll be the one to bring it up. We got to meet Steve Cohen for the first time a few days ago. Oh, and I one of his on questions to us was, how come SNY only issue from four to six? So <laughs> Steve Cohen agrees with that assessment. But look, I don't really know. I'm glad we are on TV. You know, a simulcast was never anything I was a part of when I did the middays with Joe. So it's cool that, we have that. You know, I certainly noticed walking around that a lot of people watch us on TV, along with listening on the radio. But it definitely uh, has added maybe a new group of people that watch and or listen. So maybe someday we'll be on full time. But for now, two hours is better than zero hours. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. And my last question, I finally can just make make one up. So <clears throat> if you could go back to Evan, the Evan Robertson, you've had a an interesting life. I mean, you were in the movie industry for a little bit with Howard Stern <laughs> movie, which I we can't talk about because I think I might <laughs> my grades might get dot my grade might get docked. Yeah. But but if you could go back and just tell yourself like, hey, it's gonna be all right. Cause I bet I know there are times where you wanted to, to, to quit or you know what I mean? Like it, oh my God, this is taking forever. Right. What would you tell yourself? Oh, man. First of all, I've warned myself, you're never going to see your teams win. You know, I think I was a little naive when I first started thinking, yeah, don't worry, Joe. The Jets will win a Super Bowl. Yeah, don't worry. The Mets will win a World Series. And I think uh, all these years later, I've realized that, that none of that's going to happen. So number one, I would warn myself, get ready for a lot of suffering and a lot of pain. But yeah, I would warn myself from 2003, 2004, where it was so difficult to find a job. And I was sending demo tapes to every freaking radio station in America. Uh, there were moments where I said, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. Maybe I, I don't have a future. And I would just kind of give myself a pep talk and say, never give up. Just keep plugging away. If you believe in yourself, eventually you'll get that break. So it isn't easy. It may sound easy. It may say, oh, yeah, just popped in and had a job. But there was a lot of rejection. I think I was rejected 98% of the time when I was sending tapes out in the early 2000s. So it'd probably be a really good pep talk to say, never give up and keep plugging away. Yeah, and I, I think that's a, a great one to end on. So, Evan, I, I know you're, you do Carton and Roberts, but tell everybody else where we can find you on Twitter, 
I don't think you have an Instagram, but I know you have I, Twitter. I may have an Instagram that I just don't use. I've never fallen in love with Instagram, but I definitely have Twitter at Evan Roberts WFN. And you mentioned I do a Rico Bronia after every Met series. So when a series is over, we pop on and we talk about it. And then periodically I talk Brooklyn Nets on the Brooklyn basketball podcast. So I do a little podcasting, but obviously the, the thing that pays me is Monday through Friday at two o'clock with Craig. And I do some Saturdays. Joe B will be back with me on Saturdays throughout the fall at 10 a.m. on WFN. So a very busy time of year. I mean, here's the thing about Joe. I had him on my podcast back in January and I said, Joe, you're, you're going to go back to the fan. He says, bro, I'm not going to go back full time. And I said, I don't think you're going to go back full time, but I think you're going to do like a Saturday show or something. He says, uh, if maybe you're dreaming, bro, when pigs flying. And then <laughs> I said, I literally, when I saw it on Twitter, because, you know, we, we still talk sometimes. I saw it on Twitter and I was like, I knew it. <laughs> well, you're, you're right. And I think sometimes, whether it was Francesa or Joe, it's easy to say, okay, I'm done. All right, I'm never going to do it again. But the truth is, I, I can tell you right now, when I retire, I don't know when that's going to be, hopefully a long time from now, I probably won't fully retire. I'd probably do, hey, I'm going to stick around and do a Sunday show or a Saturday show because it's in your blood. You don't quit something you love, cold turkey. So I agree with you. That, that made a lot of sense nine months ago that hey, you'll do something part-time. doesn't mean he was ever going to come back full-time. He doesn't want to come back full-time. I get that. Yeah. But it's in your blood, man, talking about the things that you love. So. It was a very astute prediction by you. Yeah. Um, and also, I'm just going to make a joke here because I need to fill another minute. When can I come on the Rico Bronia? <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to talk about? You want to rip the Mets or you want to be happy about the Mets? That's the real question. Uh, it, it just depends on the game. <laughs> are you at your best when you're happy or are you at your best when you're freaking pissed? I'm at my best, I think, in the middle. Like, when they win that game – but they also struggle. Like, I don't know if that makes any sense. Like, yeah, look, the, the oh, Mets yeah. recently, they've been winning games, but they barely scored any runs. I was walking out of city field the other night and some guy gives me a, you know, pump fist or a fist pump and said, yeah, this is awesome. I was like, yeah, you know, what would be more awesome if we scored some freaking runs. That'd be more awesome. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, the best way I could put it is I was at Keith Hernandez day. And they won that game four to three because the Marlins made errors. Yes. Yes. And I was happy, but at the same time, I was like, oh my God, like, I don't know if this is going to be sustainable. But at the same time, I'm, I'm happy. But it's just like, listen, I'm, everyone loves Steve Cohen. If you're a Met fan and you don't love Steve Cohen, especially after the, the past weekend, I don't know if you're really a Mets fan, but that, that Met gene of the, the other shoe is going to drop is still in me. And I don't know if it'll ever go away. Yeah, it'll go away when we're at a parade. That's when it'll go away. I think it's always in the back of your mind, there's going to be that negativity of at some point the bad is going to come. And that doesn't get exercised until we're, you know, all partying down the Canyon of Heroes. Yeah, where they, where they throw that, uh, what is it, paper at you? Paper at the players pretty much? Yeah, the uh, paper confetti or ticker tape. Ticker tape. Ticker tape. That's what it is. Yes, ticker tape. Yeah, so, all right. Uh Thank you, Evan, so much for doing this. When I DM'd you, I didn't know if I was going to get a response, but I, I shot you were my first one, and you answered right away, so I really appreciate it. No problem. I, I find myself responding to like 20% of my DMs because I don't see a lot of them, and then people get mad, like, you didn't respond to my DMs. I don't see a lot of it, so if I happen to be checking my DMs at the right time, then I'll respond. So I'm glad it worked out. I appreciate you having me on. Yep, thanks so much, Evan, and... I, that that's it because this isn't a podcast this is a project <laughs> i don't have to end it well i hope I, that you get an a on it all right and if you get lower than that i take full responsibility my apologies no nah, you feel it all the time now it's on <laughs> me to make it look good <laughs> all right make it look good i appreciate it man and good luck thank you